Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast, where my identical twin brother and I share our thoughts and provide solutions for executives and professionals who want to become masters of speaking and communicating so that they can maximize their influence and impact. Yes, we are identical twins who happen to also be public speakers, executive coaches, and sales leaders. Our company, DSP Leadership Group, focuses on equipping leaders who want to speak with confidence and authority, all while using their authentic voice. Here on the Twins Talk It Up podcast, we present topics about communication and leadership from our perspective as individuals and as twins. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast, where my identical twin brother and I discuss topics around communication and leadership. Well, today we're honored to have a special guest join us today. We have Antonio Boyd. Antonio is an incredible friend of ours. We've known Antonio for 27 years. He's an educational thought leader who wears a couple of hats. Well, he's the CEO and president of Think Tank Consulting, and he also specializes in the area of education as the COO of Future of School. It's a non-traditional learning platform, and we're going to talk a little bit about what this means and what it should look like for us going forward in terms of this health pandemic. But let's go ahead and welcome Antonio. Antonio, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. Um, you know how I feel about both of you. You guys are amazing. And I'm reflecting back on our days at HU, you know, Howard, <laughs> Howard University, where we were a part of the campus ministry there. And just it's just a pleasure to see how much you guys have grown and how much impact you've had in the community and society. So I'm honored to be on this podcast with you two. And you don't look any different, by the way. You look just like you did you know, 27 years ago, whenever that was, by the way. We have a few extra pounds on us, Antonio, but uh, I do appreciate it. I, 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 would, I would hope that our energy and our enthusiasm for life and for really what's going around us is still the same. I mean, we're, we're definitely excitable, but uh, we've definitely added a few pounds and kids and families late <laughs> since our college days. Right, right. Well, your brother actually is looking real similar to how he looked. When he, I think he was the one wearing the uniform, right? Uh, yep. It was ROTC day. So, no, you guys look good. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. And uh, for those of you that don't know, Dan and I, we, we love to talk about our university and our time back in at Howard University. And Antonio is one of those really leaders that came to help shape us as young students. Yep. Uh, very idealistic, didn't know anything, our right from our left, but we just wanted to make a difference in the world. And he came into our life as a great motivator and and influencing us to consider how we can make a bigger difference outside of just our, what we call scope and our platform and really using our voices, using our talents. And so I really want to thank Antonio for joining us. And Antonio, tell, tell us a little bit about who you are and the journey that you've been on. I mean, you've done everything from being a DJ, you've done things in the nonprofit world. You still do some consulting in the nonprofit world, went and did some in the ministry. Then you got into the educational sector. Tell us a little bit about your journey, who you are. Okay. You know, uh, one of the things that I'm just uh, reflecting on when I'm sitting with you guys is the incredible impact education has on a person's life. So I went to uh, one of the great high schools in, in on, on the west side of Chicago called Limbloom Technical High School. Limbloom Technical was a magnet high school in the worst neighborhood in Chicago, mm. but it had a graduation rate of 99% of the students went on to college. Wow. Uh, I call these kind of schools the island of hope. And I was a first uh, generation uh, 
uh, college-educated individual at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. Um, actually, I had a chance to go to the, either the Air Force Academy, Southern, or University of Illinois. I chose Illinois, which was a blessing because that's what I got in, engaged into the campus ministry uh, with a young man named Anton Ivey met me on campus, actually. And it was also a formative time for me to kind of shape my view of the world. What was going on at that time was apartheid. So it was similar to right now, social unrest. And we were marching on campus and uh, really getting into the thinking about Black men in general and the Black community and how we can make an impact. Players of Fraternity kept out Psi on that, on that yard. And mm -hmm. really, we had a phenomenal impact uh, being the first African-American fraternity founded on the university and then uh, got called into the ministry um, where it was a ministry minister in Champaign, Illinois, and then uh, Chicago, and then got that faithful call to move to Washington, D.C. and to move to K Street uh, with the with the young men in a new place. And that's where I became familiar with mumbo sauce. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Spot <laughs> right there on uh, right by HU. Got to put I, on the wings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just remember walking on the hallowed grounds of Howard University and being blown away by all the change makers on that campus. And I, I remember specifically we were praying to meet young people like yourself. And we what we were thinking was if we could reframe uh, your outlook on life and center it on God with your guys' vision, what could you do? And to this day, I am humbled by the hundreds, and I, I mean hundreds, of, of folks who came from that campus ministry who are now doing phenomenal things in the world. All of you guys have multiple children, most of them grown, which makes me feel old, although I only have that little piece of gray right there. And then from there, I uh, went into the um, single ministry and then on into a career, uh, uh, 19 career at Hope Worldwide, which is a global charity. And mm -hmm. I was overseeing all of North America, which is uh, the United States and all 14 countries uh, in the Caribbean and Canada. And then from there, um, started pursuing my doctoral degree at Northeastern University in Boston. And now I'm fully in the education space at uh, Future of School. Mm -hmm. And so in my intro, I did start a consulting firm called the Think Tank Consulting Group and just used my over 30 years of knowledge in a nonprofit space to help uh, nonprofit and for-profit businesses and education, healthcare, and community development. So been on a path trying to follow God's plan and and he landed me back with my fellows. I'm excited, you know? <laughs> we'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Paul Jackowitz of pauljackowitz.com. For all your website design and management needs, visit Paul Jackowitz. That's Paul, J-A-C-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z.com. Today, we'd like to thank our sponsor, AppGallup, where cloud meets commerce. AppGallup is a cloud commerce automation and marketplace platform, enabling service providers to drive revenue growth, achieve agility, and kickstart digital transformation. In fact, if you're in the telco space or you're an internet service provider, AppGallup will accelerate your time to the fast-growing cloud market, delivering all the top-selling cloud services to your customers with unified identity, access, subscription billing, and payment management. If you want to sell your cloud platform, you need AppGallup. 
If you have telco products, circuits, switches, hosting services, whether it's private cloud or public cloud, and you want to include AWS, Microsoft Azure, and Google, you want to make sure you use AppGallop, the one-stop platform for digital transformation. Thank you very much, AppGallop. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners. 20% off products or services on our website. Just send us an email with the subject line podcast, and we will send you that special discount code at dsbleadershipgroup.com. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. That's awesome. We we definitely are grateful for you. I do remember our uh, first encounter back at Howard University. I would definitely tell you that of all the people that we've had a chance to run into, you were definitely one of the most influential in our lives, uh, who first instilled that we were positive, we we're amazing, we we're strong, we we're intelligent. These are things that people don't tell you when you're growing up, that you are awesome, you are amazing. These are the things you used to tell us all the time. And I'm like, why is this guy always telling me how awesome I am? I don't feel like I'm awesome. And then it got to a point where I believed I was awesome. And so I would have to tell you that this is what a lot of young African-American men and women are missing is the ability to have someone who is an authoritative figure instill positivity in you. So I want to thank you for that, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, writing a book called The Gap Mentality. And what it's about is, is that in education, uh, they put a label on us that there's a gap in our ability. Now, there, there is a gap. I mean, 400 years of slavery, you know, there's a gap in our ability as far as or in the time we've had to be a part of the system. But we came across the ocean with assets, right? God-given gifts. And, and we should take the gap off of ourselves. And society needs to take the gap off of us and work with us through assets. So I really do feel like all my career, I've been trying to instill the asset mentality in young people, not the gap mentality. You know, just because you're Asian and African-American doesn't mean you have a gap, right? But society says you have a gap. Well, I've always seen it as a strength. I mean, I've always been amazed at, what you guys could bring to the table because of your cross-culturalness and your multiculturalness and the impact you can have in the community. It has been an advantage for you. It hasn't been a deficit, but a lot of times in education specifically, we want to talk to students in deficit mentality instead of assets. So I'm trying to work on reshaping how we talk to our young people of color, that we talk from their assets, not their deficits, right? Awesome. Yep. So talk about that a little bit more, Antonio, if you don't mind, just the work you're doing as the COO of the Future School how you're shaping and really changing the educational landscape. Is this something that you guys thought about? And I don't want to say pre-COVID-19, you didn't know this was going to happen, but do you feel like the health pandemic has actually helped to push forward your vision for how the educational landscape should be changed? Absolutely. The organization started five years ago. A lot of times we have to explain to folks, we're not new in this space. So we started as a foundation of blended and online learning. And basically uh, we were kind of funded through a network of online learning and blended providers who said that this is the future of education, right? That eventually education is gonna go blended and online. Blended meaning you're gonna have some in school and some online mm-hmm. and, 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 then, and then the online education meaning you'd be fully online. And the reason why we felt this is because, you know, there's equity and access issues, right? You know, just think about the fact that when you're working in an online space, you can take classes that you never could take in, in, a, in a building, right? 
Uh, you can have access to things. You can have flexibility in your schedule that you never had. We run into students and give scholarships to students who want to be concert pianists. So they spend, you know, their day Monday through Friday practicing four hours a day. And then they go to online classes for the rest of the afternoon and they get to accomplish more in high school than anybody who goes to a regular high school because wow. they're not strapped by, you know, those eight, eight, what do you call it? What we call those eight classes a day yep. plus lunch plus gym. They're not conformed into that box, which then allows them to be uh, a lot more flexible and, and also have a lot better choices about their education. So about a year ago, we changed the name to Future of School because we and we kind of launched from a foundation to a four to a nonprofit because we wanted to evangelize this idea at a whole nother level. Okay, we were already having national coverage, but we wanted to point the way. We we say that we're um, predicting and documenting the the um, the changes of K-12 education in real time. So what are we doing? We're, we're, we're doing a lot of research around what, what are the trends? What's going on? Where's education going? And then we're doing a lot of documentation through webinars, podcasts, through uh, research reports about what's actually happening in real time. And so what that has done is it has mobilized ed tech companies, uh, school districts, schools, teachers, students, all in a movement to change education so that students like yourself, like you were at Howard, we want every student to have equity and access to reach their unbounded potential, right? Yeah. We, we use that word powerfully, unbounded. We don't want their, your potential to be bound up in the fact that you have to be in a structure that holds you back from being all you can be. So kind of doing the same work I was doing at Howard, but now we're doing it on the national level. So I'm very excited about our work and uh, we've, we're helping over 2 million kids right now. That is phenomenal. I love how you are <clears throat> taking away the traditional structure. And, you know, every kid has a different way of learning. Yeah. Every child is unique and they're all intelligent. And if you give them the right tools and allow them to be able to construct it in a way that's best fit for them, they're going to blossom. They're exactly. definitely going to blossom. And I love, I love how you guys have uh, gave that great example, how these individuals can excel in music, excel in education, because if they had a traditional learning style, of the eight hour school day or whatever you want to call it with the lunch and the gym and all these different breaks to go from one class or next class or next class, they would never be able to excel. They just don't have that same capability. Uh, I, I think that's very phenomenal. In the year 2020, and, and we look at what has taken place in the spring of 2020 going up to the fall, our whole education process has just gone through a remarkable transformation. I'm in the IT space. I see it all the time with children, with teachers trying to figure out how to get the computer to work, how to have conversations with each other. This is, this is phenomenal. You guys did this five years ago where you start changing the thought process of education five years ago before this all began. And, and right. you started talking about the future school and, and why you changed the name and everything else. What other uh, opportunities do you see because of this challenge? What are the other opportunities that you see happening right now? So I think that, you know, one thing that we're, we call what's going on now, guys, crisis schooling. So crisis schooling. basically what happened was we were doing our normal type of schooling, right? It's the difference between schooling and educating. And that's, there's some research out there by, um, um, a wonderful researcher um, who says his name is Suja. He says that, you know, when you educate pers person, you know, um, Einstein said education is a, an exchange of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So so that's so that that knowledge can be used. Right. But schooling is just going through the process. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and I know we, we've been through 
four years of schooling. I went through a master's program and I can't tell you what I learned, right? Because <laughs> uh, I was schooled, right? But now I'm in an education program where I'm in, 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 entrenched in an experience mm -hmm. and I can tell you all kinds of stuff I learned. So there's a difference between being schooled and being educated. And Sujur says that this is, a, this is a serious problem with our system right now. And so what, what we're doing right now is schooling, right? Crisis schooling, right? We're in a crisis, it's a pandemic. We're, it's disrupted the structure. We've got to learn how to use a Chromebook. We've got to learn how to use a Surface. We've got to learn how to use a laptop. Zoom's stock prices have gone out the roof. We got yeah. Google Meet. We got Microsoft, I mean, Google, uh, Google, yeah, Google, Microsoft Meeting and, 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 and the Google platform. And, and, and we're trying to adjust to this. So this is not educating right now. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to argue is that online and blended education has been around for a long time. Major universities use it as one of their huge platforms. Mm -hmm. It's K-12 that's behind. And so that's what true. we're trying to do is push K-12 to say, let's move from crisis schooling to blended in online education. Mm -hmm. It's okay, people. You know, we don't have to do this in a building. We, it, it doesn't have to have the same platforms, but let's move the whole system. And so the system is moving, but it's moving by force. And why is it being moved by force? Well, because it's a $700 billion business. Oh. $700 billion is what education costs our country every year. And so as, as anything, like any infrastructure, if it's a $700 billion opportunity, there are going to be structures of corruption all through the structure, right? Mm. When you can make $700 billion on keeping people in the gap mentality and saying that there's an achievement gap and these kids got all these problems, so give me $3 million so I can do research on why mm. they got all these problems, that's big business. Yeah. Yeah. Online yeah. and blended learning moves that whole structure and, and kind of kind of decompresses it. And so now there are people scrambling, right? Like in the IT space, space saying, wow, the $700 billion business is changing and it's shifting to IT. So, you know, people in your space are coming up with all the innovative ideas to push this sucker forward. So we're excited to see what your colleagues are going to do. Yeah. And, and, and there are already colleagues like Google who are saying, hey, guys, since we're going to be pushing this thing forward, by the way, we don't even need you to go to college anymore. Yep. We put out certificate programs where you can just go from high school to Google and make $50,000 a year by just taking three or four of our classes. Yep. Let's just get rid of college. So your, your infrastructure, your, your colleagues are going to push this sucker in ways that three years from now, we, won't even, we, we, we probably won't even know what education will look like. So I'm excited about that. How about you? Yeah, we're excited as well. I, this is David, by the way. I want to share with our audience when... Antonio, speaking of the technology space, he's really referring to my twin, Danny Brown. <laughs> you guys know we're genetically the same, but we're definitely different in terms of our career paths and what we do in our area of expertise. But I want to further emphasize something you said earlier, Antonio, and it's so true. I didn't know it was $700 billion, my goodness. But you actually have a commercial that I saw on YouTube about the school. And in the commercial, you kind of show different images of what our country was like in 1900, 1910. You talk about the, the technology, the music, and the automobile industry, and how it, everything's changed. But what hasn't changed is education. Mm, right. And the fact that the university platforms, they're starting to realize the value of providing what we call educational courses, educational classes online, is really interesting that the K-12 is just now starting to wake up only because of the health pandemic, and for the most part, not because there really was a need. And 
in so many people's minds because they're not entrenched in that environment where you're at. They don't necessarily see the need to change. And so this is where we might find people discussing experiential learning, discussing how to get laptops and technology to our inner city kids. How do we change this overall? And is it going to be the future school that makes that change? Or do we need to look at right now, we're in election season, right? Or do we need to look at considering changing policies so that more and more schools are adopting this mindset that you're talking about, Antonio? Well, I think that, you know, industry, to me, where this, I hate, you know, I've been doing a lot of research on this the last three years in the doctoral process. And three years ago, I said the disruptor is not going to be government. Mm -hmm. The structure is not going to be local politics. The structure is not even going to be the education structure. The structure, the disruptor is going to be industry. Industry has always pushed education to change, right? Mm -hmm. Industry has always said that, hey, we need a workforce pipeline that can do this, this, and this. And so if you don't give it to us, we're going to push, to, push you to it. Mm -hmm. And so that, that will be the disruptor. Industries, industry will push down on education, just like it did in the 1930s, just like it has done throughout history. I mean, even if you think about, you know, slavery, this is a controversial statement, but what industry was saying, we need workers. <laughs> so we got to figure this out, right? And so we're going to transport these people from another country to make sure that we can get this cotton and, 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 and rice industry going in America. So our capitalism is always at the forefront of, of evolution and change. And so right now, industry is saying in education, Hey, you, you, get, you get it together and produce a viable workforce for us, or we're going to take it over and produce it ourselves. And so COVID-19 has just accelerated that process. Microsoft is saying, we're not even bringing people back into the office. No. <laughs> we, we, I, I know we don't build all these buildings in Charlotte and Redmond, but we see that the work is more efficient at home. So why should we, why do we need an office? Google, Google, uh, my colleagues at Google said to me, he, they said, you know, education got to catch up with us. We've been looking at each other's stuff and learning from each other for years mm. on our Google platforms. <clears throat> and, and schools say, hey, don't look at Johnny's paper. You can't, you know, we, but we say actually collaboration is the key skill that we want when you come to our job. So, yeah, mm -hmm. put, put something on a Google Doc and all of y'all look at it and then figure out what we want from you. And then that's collaboration. So we're teaching two things at once. So industry, again, is forcing the system forward. And what we're trying to do is document that. We're trying to tell, talk about that. We're trying to tell everybody, hey, look at what this going on. Look at that. Look at this. So that we can bring our country along. Now, will government catch up? Absolutely. And they'll probably take credit for it. They'll say, oh, we created this government policy that now we're going to do blended online learning. Man, it's been around for years. Right. I love that. I love that. You're, man, this is, this is the energy we need. We, this is definitely the energy we need. You're absolutely correct. I, I love the fact how, you know, sometimes in my personal opinion, I don't care who takes the credit, just, just get it done. But in, exactly. the same, in the same essence, you're right. Government will come in and they'll talk about this. Industry has been changing for years. You're absolutely correct. I see it in the IT space. I see what Google's doing. I see what Microsoft is doing. Uh, my, my business relationship with is, is, is with Microsoft. We do a lot of work with Microsoft. And they come out with so many changes so quickly. It, we have to tell them to slow down. Uh, right. Because SMB space is where I focus primarily most of my work in. We can't keep up. So it is phenomenal to see the changes 
happens so quickly and education is so key. Facebook and Google, you said it. You don't need a traditional college degree anymore. You take these basic certificate programs, you have the, the basic foundation that they want and you can learn the rest later. You said earlier that, hey, I don't even remember what I did in my master's degree. <laughs> the, the whole process is changing. Life is changing. My best employees that I had in my past couple of businesses were employees who didn't even finish college. Exactly. They, they, they picked it up on the fly. They went online to Google. They went online to Bing and they, they searched things. They figured it out. They went and got the certifications and they became better at IT than, than I was. I just became a people manager right after that. I'm like, I don't need to do hands-on work anymore. My hands got slapped every time I, I try to install a switch or server or a wireless access point. My hands got slapped. Hey, you can't do that no more. You're a manager. Right. You just took over. That's how smart the, the individuals are today. That's how smart young kids are. Um, this leads me to one of my next questions for you. As you're working with individuals, these leaders uh, in the K-12 space, how are you approaching them to help them to be open-minded? Because it's been a closed ecosystem for so long. How, are you at, how do you ask that right open-ended question to get them to open up a little bit more? Because I just see, I still see a lot of them closed off. It, it had to take a big punch in the face with, through COVID to even get them to consider opening up a little bit. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Live Love Thanks. Live Love Thanks helps purpose-driven women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs to permanently eliminate clutter and end stress and overwhelm so they can move forward in their careers, relationships, and health. Visit LiveLoveThanks.com for impactful coaching and program professional women's. Thank you for checking out the Twins Talk It Up podcast. If you're enjoying this program and are learning something along with us, please consider becoming a supporting member through our Patreon at patreon.com slash DSB Leadership Speaking. Also consider leaving a great rating on iTunes and comment on our other platforms. If you would like more information or would like to become a guest on a future episode, please send a message via our website, www.dsbleadershipgroup.com. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners for a free consultation over the next two weeks. Visit our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. Well, I think that, you know, they're forced. Uh, you know, we're seeing so many issues. We're, we're working with districts that, where, you know, parents are choosing to keep their kids at home and not even send them to school. So they're mm. calling us saying that half of our districts not even coming to school. We can't even find them. Wow. And so what that has created is an atmosphere, you know, um, going back to the $700 billion analogy, um, there's funding tied to kids being in seats, right? That's how you get your money. <laughs> and that's how you pay your teachers and your janitors and all those other folks. But when they have half of their schools missing, that's half of their funding possibly mm. gone. So what's it done is it's forced them to be really creative around, okay, we got to get kids centered now. We can't get, can't be structure centered, right? We can't hide behind the structure anymore because they're looking in now. Now life is looking into the building and saying, what are you doing, right? Uh, what's really here? And so what I, I like that I see it emerging, and I'm going to be talking to some folks next week, is they're creating community-based pods for kids to learn in community. So they're mm -hmm. thinking that, 
okay, little Johnny's afraid to come into the building because he might get COVID-19, but he's not afraid to go to the barbershop, right? So maybe we set up a pod at the barbershop where he can go there. They have internet access. He can learn, take a little break, get his hair cut, you know, or maybe we do it in the community center, or maybe we do it at the community church, these safe places. And what 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 I'm excited about is, wow, who would ever thought you know, back in the in the early days, that's how we did it. We educated wherever we could, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And who would ever thought that we would be forced into a situation? Like there are a lot of parents who who are saying, okay, I have to work. Who in my neighborhood is off? Let's create mm-hmm. an education pod in our community where all the kids come to this one place. They learn online. There's one parent that creates a space for them to learn. And then that parent will pay that parent to feed them lunch and a little money to keep their household going, they're a stay-at-home mom anyway. This kind of innovation and this kind of taking control of children's education is actually going to be good for our society because we've been so busy. We just send them off to school. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about them. Whatever they learn, they learn. The teacher tells us how, to, how they're doing. We believe it without even really looking. And now we've been forced to really look, really understand, really walk with little Johnny and say, did you really learn that that I told you to learn in the last hour? Because it doesn't <laughs> seem like it, which is really helping us be better parents, which yeah. then in turn will help students to be better students. I mean, mm-hmm. my mother, her accountability for my first, what, 18 years of education was a report card. And if it had all A's on it, she didn't, she didn't care if I learned anything or not. She just said, good job, little Johnny. If it had a little F on it, then she was questioning me. But mm-hmm. other than that, she asked me no questions. Now that can't go on in education. You got to know what's going on in real time because you're truly the the leader of your child's education, which is awesome. Don't you think that change is great? Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, I've got to I've got to ask you this because you bring up an interesting concept. I've got two part question here, Antonio. First part, you talked about the concept of pods. Makes perfect sense. If we were to go down this path where we're actually encouraging changing the mindset of how we do education and this concept of pods are adopted. Is that something that could be facilitated through the current school structure, or is that going to be something that's going to have to be done community by community, maybe through our, our uh, state and local representatives? That's the first question. And then the second question is, are there any other countries or any other educational systems that are really already doing what you're proposing? Well, good question on both fronts. So, um, Pods are actually being implemented by parents. That's that's that this that was a disruption by parents. Parents were saying, "Okay, there's ten of us on the block. They all go to John B. Key Elementary School. Six of us got to go to work. How do we figure this out?" Mm-hmm. And they created the pod concept. And then, of course, schools are supportive of that because they just want little Johnny to get his work done, right? Yeah. So, if you if parents have organized themselves this way, and what we see is that. It's happening in affluent communities and not so much in communities of color. So what we've got to do is figure out how do we help uh, marginalized communities or how do we create equity and access for all communities to to be able to do that, you know, kind of uh, education or like like I said. So what's happening is another disruption in poor and in urban communities. We're finding that we're going to do this community based pod. Right. So in our affluent suburban communities, you're seeing parents go family-based pods, right? So, because they have the resources and and mm-hmm. the and kind of the cohesiveness. But of course, in our inner city environments, in our rural environments, that's not maybe the case. So now they're seeing a community-based model. But, you know, one of my great ambitions is to go look at the education system in Singapore, because that's mm-hmm. one of the most phenomenal education systems in our world. China is actually, you know, of course, you know, 
one of my mentors said that while we sleeping, while we playing Xbox, while we ooh-wee, while we dropping it like it's hot, there's somebody in India and China with a light on in the room looking at a book trying to figure out how they could beat us to death. Yeah, and that is so it. true. Those two systems will kick our tail when it comes to how prepared those students are in math and science and engineering and technology. So what we got to do is figure out how to un we ourselves, un we our young people and get them focused like they're focused, right? So, so, that's, so that's the answer is you got to look at China, you got to look at Singapore, you got to look at India, you got to look at, you know, those countries are, are way ahead of us when it comes to education. Yeah, you're absolutely right. When I look at because we out, you know, we're the richest nation in the world. So yes. why should, the disparity is, yes. is really a problem that we have to solve. You're absolutely right. When we look at the data, right, over the last 10 years, 20 years, you continue to see where U.S. is dropping, 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 dropping when it comes to the education space, uh, where our children are not really pushed or, or nurtured to be able to go after their creativity, to go after the extra knowledge and the learning, whereas other countries, third world countries are doing that. They're going after that late at night. As you said, you're absolutely correct about that. I also think it comes back to leadership. You know, when it comes to uh, the leadership aspect of it, I think about this. What are what do you think are some of the challenges or obstacles within this leadership team that could prevent this type of learning from going mainstream? We talked about um, how it's always been this way for so many generations. You talked about how to get these individuals to open up a little bit more. But what other challenges do you feel like these leaders face besides getting butts in the seat for funding? Are there any other type of challenges outside of just pure funding? Well, you know, what I learned from one of my great professors at Northeastern, he always tells me, put in my mind, that all education is local, right? So even in your local communities, whether that be in Maryland or Austin, you know, there's a local school board that really controls what goes on in your kid's life, right? But that's a political process. And he taught me, he said, Antonio, you know, you think what's going on with Trump and Biden is political. Go into a local school board meeting and you will see politics at a level that you've never seen before. And so what we have to do is start at the local level. We think it's national, but it's actually local. Local school boards have to get in it for the kids and not in it for the opportunity or position. You know, there's a really wonderful documentary done by uh, Dan Rather about the Detroit school system. Mm. And he basically does a full, you ought to go online and look at it, a full expose on kind of what was going on with that school board and what was going on with the schools to keep them kind of in the lower, lower half of education systems across the country. And the politics at the local level was immense. And so they had to bring in somebody from Washington to kind of take over the whole school district. But even when he came in, he failed because of the politics between him and the school board. So that's mm -hmm. where it starts. Um, a lot of times we think national legislation can fix education, but it's actually, it's all education and local. Yeah, it starts at the local level. And I appreciate you sharing that, Antonio, that we've got to really start there. And it might really call parents to get more involved in their school boards to figure out when those meetings are coming up, what's on the, the agenda and what changes need to take place for their kids. And right now it's unprecedented. My school board here has been debating about how we're gonna get our schools going again. And now they're allowing their kids to start competing again in sports. And they're talking about getting school started back up in a month from now, and they're gonna be a hybrid. So you're gonna be A day, B day, and half the kids are gonna be in class instead of 30 kids, it's 15 kids. And so it's really going to be interesting to see how they navigate this, but it doesn't take away from the, the idea of really integrating that 
online platform and the training for that. So many teachers have felt very challenged. Like Dave, you got to teach them how to, how to be able to teach virtually. You got to show me how to communicate virtually because I don't know if I'm getting my kids. I don't know if I'm getting these students to get engaged. What do you do with maybe at the future school to help these educators who haven't gone to college for a class on technology that haven't been trained on how to be able to engage their students. How are you helping them to adjust to this new, well, at least for the rest of us is new, but it's not for what you guys have done the last five years in terms of teaching them how to train on that platform. Yeah. Well, well, I want to say one other thing in my research, one of the most, I'm going to answer your question, but one of the most disheartening things when I, when I, like my professor told me, all education is local. I wish I told him, I wish you had taught me that a year. I wish I took your class a year before I started trying to do the work because I had a politician tell me that, um, you know, when it comes to her concerns around education, she doesn't really care about the kids because the kids don't vote. (laughs) Her concerns are, are the parents and the educators because they go to the voting box to put her in her position. And I would never forget that statement. And, you know, it's one of those off the cuff statements, like in general conversations, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you could say something that's a Freudian slip that you didn't realize what you're saying, but that is so true. So when it comes to really shaping our system, it needs to be kid focused. It needs to be student voices because students know what they need. They know what helps them to learn and they know what's best for their education. And so a lot of times they're not even in the process. So I want to say that establish that that I'm a big advocate for student voice, like I was at Howard with you guys, right? And then the second thing I would say as far as um, what we're doing is we created a project called the Resilient School Project. And we looked at it from a uh, kind of a disaster standpoint. We've been tracking COVID-19 since February. And so we predicted what school districts would be closed at what states, what school districts would be reopened, how they would be reopened. We forecasted it way before it happened. And then we predicted what was going on now in this second phase. And what we did was we categorized school districts and schools like a hurricane, like category one, category two, category three. And I was looking, I was looking with a company yesterday. I was uh, showing them our slides on this. And I said, we didn't predict that Illinois would be as bad as it is right now, but Illinois is a category one. We actually had Illinois as a category two. And what I told him was the reason why we didn't predict that was because Illinois has had a surge in social unrest situations, in Chicago in particular. And so people have been out more, gathering more. And as you see, COVID is spiking again in, in Illinois and then upper Midwest, you know, where in that, we, a lot of those areas, we didn't think it would be as bad as it was. We knew Florida was gonna be bad. We knew Texas was gonna be bad because they didn't really respond properly at the beginning of the pandemic. We didn't think there would be these surges. And we definitely didn't predict that New York would be like it is, which is totally going down, actually. And so we created a project called the Resilient School Project. We said, we're going to have to stand up schools like you do a a community after a hurricane. The hurricane will come, and then you got to sit in FEMA and all these volunteers to rebuild it. So what we've done is we've actually taken a, a, a cadre of 10 different school districts that are different sizes. And we've been spending the last five months saying, okay, what are you learning? What are your struggles? Who do you need to come help you? How can we help uh, maybe break down some some issues you're having in the ed tech area or in a special education area or in the curriculum area? Or even there's a company called StrongMind that has this thing called uh, text text parents. When, when your kid is not on Zoom, you can tech that, that the, the technology texts you and said, for some reason, little Johnny didn't go on his Zoom uh, call for algebra today and you get a text as a parent and then when you come home 
right? You can go, look, Johnny, I got a text from this capability that the software developed by this IT education ed tech firm that said, you weren't on Zoom <laughs> for the full time of your algebra class. What happened? Oh, Ma, I ate lunch and fell asleep. Yeah, I did miss it. But isn't that wow. cool that technology could bridge that, that gap? So we're working with uh, school districts and companies and learning, right? <clears throat> and then what we want to do is report out what we learned for so that next in January, these ed tech providers and these school districts can be, that could be broadly spread out, right? Mm -hmm. Like Microsoft, we're, we're working with Microsoft to create that, those community pods, right? That community pod idea is a hot idea. I mean, I'm really liking that idea. Microsoft is heading that up. We're working with Google for Education on parent training for Chromebooks because kids got the Chromebooks now, but the parents get home, Man, know Chromebooks is like that new math. Yes, <laughs> I don't know how to use this sucker. <laughs> so we're creating, you know, spaces working with these ed tech companies and large technology firms and folks in this space to make sure that 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 divide is is bridged, right? So that we can build solid houses, solid schools, and that's why we call it the Resilient School Project. And so I'll send you the web links, and so you guys can get that out to people as well. Yeah, That's please awesome. do, Antonio, and I'll, I'll connect it to our podcast and make sure that our audience can be able to follow you and, and be able to get more time to dig deeper into what you're doing. What, what, are, what are the changes that you're seeing now? I mean, we talk about what the new normal is. This is the new normal. But what are some of the changes you're seeing and what do you feel like education is going to look like, less, at least from your perspective, in the next four or five years? Well, I think that it's changing so fast that we might want to shrink that back to the next six months, mm -hmm. right? So what 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 I think that's going to happen in the next six months? We're we're in a we're in a critical point right now. COVID cases are going up, but school districts are frustrated, saying we're going to go back to like you said. Let's talk about Maryland. We're going to do hybrid two day, three day, and and what what being a superintendent of a school district now is like is like a, a captain navigating through. Uh, uh, typhoon, right? <laughs> you know, he was, he was, he was, he was just taking people on a nice little trip, and then all of a sudden, there's a typhoon coming, and he can't get back to shore before the typhoon hits him. And so, you know, we saw, we we predicted that, you know, there would be massive layoff of teachers mm. four mm. months ago. We predicted that budgets would be cut. Mm. Why? Because these superintendents were told, "Hey, with COVID nineteen, when you get ready for go back, you got to buy poly, you know, poly." polyglass dividers for kids and you gotta, you gotta get hand sanitizers and you gotta get masks. But then COVID spiked it up so much that we didn't even go back, but they already spent that money, right? Mm -hmm. To prepare. Now they're thinking we're gonna go back, but the scientists are saying it's a second wave. So what we're predicting is there's gonna be a gap in between what they think they gotta do and what the reality is, which is gonna cause problems for the system. Yeah. So when you see um, these leaders in Congress saying that we need to get money down to these school districts, we're predicting that if that money doesn't come soon, not only will there be massive layoffs, but there'll be massive shrinking in education budgets because kids won't even be in schools. Mm. You know, there's an online um, education company that has had 50% growth in kids going to virtual schools. Their, their parents are basically choosing, I'm not even sending my kid back to public school. Yeah. So that's going to be a, a deficit change in the number of students going to public schools. So we're predicting that in the next six months. Wow. So it's very important that um, we get that um, CARES Act um, passed because those teachers are going to lose their jobs. I don't need as many people in the building if I'm not in the building, right? That's true. 
Hey, quick question That's before. What, I want to put that out there because I don't want to get too, uh, you know, forward, but I want to talk about now because we're going to see a lot of our, our people in the education system in unemployment because of kind of what's going on. I agree. I, there's, there's so many, um, there's so many things that's going to come up that we need to start thinking about before it happens, because there are going to be a lot of teachers, uh, a lot of maintenance workers, a lot of people that's going to be affected by this future that's going to come take place. If more and more parents are putting their kids in these learning pods, uh, it's great to help the kids grow and be great. Uh, a lot of more parents are putting kids in um, online education. It's been great for the people who have technology companies that are building these online education courses. But we forget that the teachers who uh, we put so much faith in to raise our kids or may not even have jobs in the future. That's, that's so true. My thought process um, and a question for you is what about the mental uh, challenges that people are going through, the um, mental health aspect uh, for the teachers, for the kids, uh, as well as for parents. What are your thoughts on all three of those areas? Yeah, I think that's a great question and I appreciate you asking it. And, and I think that what we, you know, I love the fact that um, there are folks in our political system that look at teachers and, and educators and parents and, and, and kind of look at them as first responders as well. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about our healthcare workers and, you know, we got to, God bless them. I mean, my wife's a doctor, so they have been through they 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 become our heroes, right? Our service workers who provide just our general services, but our teachers, right? We've got to figure out if we're going to be transitioning, and we may lose a lot from the industry. You know, some some say seventeen hundred a day choose to get out of education. Then we got to re 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 rethink of how we reimagine what their careers can be like in other spaces. So that's something we need to spend time on. Mm. Um, but they definitely are in crisis. And there's definitely a whole mental health aspect of this. And that's what we, we, we have this thing called a teacher triage, where we're basically raising money to give teachers just $150. You can get every week, we give a grant to a teacher somewhere in America, 150. We, and we say to them, Hey, this is triage money. <laughs> you know, you're in the triage, just yeah, go get your hair done, you know, do, do what you got to do for yourself. Right. Because we know that this is an emotional uh, issue and, and, and we've had donors just give money to that fund so that we can give that out. And, and one of um, our, our, our friends, you may know him, Seth El-Jamal, he's one of our, our, our brothers. Um, we gave Seth that money. He, he basically has been going into the Chatham community in inner city Chicago, one of the worst neighborhoods in America, and basically just um, taking his, um, his Wi-Fi, his hotspot into that community and just parking his car in that community so kids can get online to learn. Mm. He's been walking books into that community, uh, risking his own life in the middle of COVID-19 when it was hot, when the, when the country was shut down so that kids could have summer reading. So wow. we sent Seth a grant. Man, here, Seth, teacher of the week, bro. Go out, take your family to dinner. You're right. The whole mental health piece is mm. huge and, and we need to support our teachers and we've been trying to do that at Future School. I think that's amazing, Antonio. I'm glad you're starting to, um, at least you're seeing that. And I can tell how many teachers don't see that. When you were sharing about what teachers are going through and the adjustments they're making to take care of their families, it made me think about one of my neighbors here. He's a He's been a high school teacher for uh, over 20 years. His wife works for a great company here, probably the second largest company in the state of Maryland. And he had to go get a part-time job. And I was asking, what's going on? He goes, Dave, I'm, I'm just thinking about what could happen. Right. 
He goes, they might be trying to force me out because I've been there for 20 years. You know, I've been there longer than most of the teachers and I might have a forced early retirement. I, I got to start thinking differently. And it really didn't alarm me until you said what you said, Antonio. These guys are definitely thinking differently. I mean, he's got a kid in high school, a kid in college, just like I do. And so we've got to really start seeing how we got to shift the landscape, how we got to take care of our educators. They're definitely on the front line. They're incredible people, incredible leaders in their own rights. But we've got to give them the tools. We've got to give them the resources so that they feel like they're along with the changes are going to be able to help make a difference in these kids' life. I don't want to see us lose the brightest minds in education. I don't want to see us lose great leaders um, to the fear that they may not have a job. Right. Yeah. And, and, and then the other fear is their health. I was texting with an educator who went to a program, has got a lot of student loan debt, and he reached out to me and said, hey, can you help me raise the money to pay off my student loan debt? Why? Because he also has prostate cancer. Oh. So he's got the health issue and he has his debt. And then his district is saying, you have to go back in the building and teach. Well, he's a diagnosed with prostate cancer. So he's um, you know, got a pre-existing condition that if he gets COVID-19, and so he was just saying, as a leader in education, pray for me, because I, I got a lot of teachers that are fearful. And so not only did they face the economic challenges, and not only did they face their own personal challenges, but they also face the health challenges. And, you know, we're living in a society where we have one group of leadership that says COVID-19 is real, and one group says that we're on a turn, and, and, and there's, it's not real, and don't wear a mask. And so and I'm not, that's not a political statement at all. That's just a statement of reality. And uh, my wife was telling me that, you know, the, the average bill for COVID-19 could be up towards of $100,000 that you actually have to pay after insurance uh, when you really get sick. So we're in a crisis and we need to, to really look at this very closely on all levels of our society so that no one gets lost. Wow. I, I totally agree with you on that aspect. Um, I just wanted to, to give the audience a chance to just to have you provide some type of guidance, leadership tip, um, some lessons or something that uh, you've learned over the years that they can uh, they could take today and apply for their own lives. Do you have any well, that you'd like to share? Well, one thing that I would say is that as far as education is concerned, mm -hmm. is that all education is local. You know, I don't care what's going on on a national level in all politics is local, right? Um, I don't care what's going on on the national level. You need to pay attention to what's going on in your local community. Like, like uh, your brother Dave said, he's looking at his local school board and, and watching what they do and paying attention and mm. keeping his eye on the ball. I think the other thing is, is that we need to understand that our kids in this current environment will lose years educationally unless we get involved in their lives. We're seeing studies that are saying that in math and in, in literacy, um, not being in a proper school environment, the kids are going backwards, not forward. I also think that you need to understand that technology is here to stay. And so, you know, you have to embrace it. And that, that means more than just knowing how to work the apps on your iPhone, right? That means more than just, you know, knowing how to have a laptop and turn it on and watch videos on YouTube. You have to really understand, you know, what these applications do not only for your own life and, and your future, but also for the lives of your children. And then lastly, Take a long view, right? Uh, I've been telling my family we have a weekly Zoom call every Wednesday. We've had it throughout the whole pandemic, our, our entire family. And I've been told them last week, take a long view that, you know, you hear all kinds of things about COVID-19. But I would, I would encourage you to, to, to think that this is going to be at least another year. 
And so what can you do in this next year to move your family forward? So so that's thinking from an asset, not a deficit, because a lot of people think of deficit. Oh, my God. Another year. We're the mess. Another year of not socializing. But some people are thinking asset. If I had a year on a desert island where I could do what I needed to do with no distractions, what would I do? And there are people who are working out. There are people who are reading books more. There are people who are learning new skills, cleaning out their homes. Look at it from an asset, not a deficit. And I think you'll get through this. Um, So that would be my advice. I love that, bro. And I appreciate you sharing asset, not a deficit. It's really having a paradigm shift and embracing opportunity and embracing the hope that can be gained through this time, through this period. I appreciate you sharing that. And Tony, I want to throw out one more thing and then we'll we'll, kind of wrap up our time because I want our audience to be able to think differently about their children, think differently about their educational systems. How can more people get involved outside of going to the school boards, outside of saying, how do we equip our educators, maybe giving them opportunities to get grants to go get training from Microsoft, Google, whatever, but what else can we do? Yeah, so Future School, we're trying to mobilize millions and millions of people to address this issue. So you can go to our website, www.future.futureof.school and uh, just sign on for our podcast, our webinars. And, and what that do, what that will do is all of our um, information that we give out, we have a call to action. And what we're trying to do is raise up uh, a whole generation of people who embrace that the future of school is now. It's not later, it won't be next week, it's now. Mm-hmm. And so we all have to start shifting our mindset about how we think about education. We have to understand, and I'll leave you guys with this stat, I'm a data person, that if we don't shift, there'll be 350,000 jobs in 2030. And I I really believe that that's going to shift back to about 2025, that Mm -hmm. our kids won't be prepared for. IT and industry are saying 350,000 jobs this generation will not be able to access because they're not prepared. So your call to action and your conviction to even ask that question is, is imperative because that's, that's a lot of jobs. And, yep. and we know that for students of color, those numbers are exponentially going to be higher. So I encourage all our parents, go on the website, get involved, get active. We're mobilizing futurists and we're going to change this thing one, one kid at a time. Unbounded potential, like you guys have shown, unbounded potential, right? Yeah. Well, I, I want to thank you, Antonio, for the encouragement for what you shared. I will post uh, the links for our audience so they can find you, so they can follow you and even find some encouragement. If there are definitely articles that they can read, they can follow up on. We'll make sure we provide that for our audience. Well, on behalf of the twins talking up podcast and my twin brother, Danny Brown, I want to thank you Antonio for joining us today. Thank you for really not just being in our life when we were young freshmen on campus, not knowing what we were doing, but we just had this bright hope. We knew that we were going to make a difference. But here we are, fast forward, 27 years later, we're still staying involved in each other's life. We're still rooting for the best out of, for each other. And I want to thank you for that. So thank you for joining us today. If you are interested in helping to be a sponsor for the Twins Talking Up podcast, please come to our website or go to uh, patreon.com forward slash DSB Leadership Speaking, and you can sponsor a program. You can actually come on, give a commercial for the program, or even give us insight into what topics you want Dan and I to cover. So we do love to debate. We do love to talk. We do love to encourage you to dig deeper into developing your skill set, especially in the areas of communication and leadership, 
so that we could continue to forge great change in our country. So I want to thank you again for joining us, Antonio. You're awesome. We love you and appreciate you joining us on the Twins Talking Up podcast. All right. Thanks, guys. H U, you know. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at DSP Leadership and visit us online at dspleadershipgroup.com to learn more about our workshops and trainings. We will see you on the next episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast.